Good uh, morning and welcome, Hillside. Great to see you this morning. I'm so glad you're here. Um, anyone catch my wipeout? Just, man, I'm still standing. I'm still standing. I, somebody, I actually literally fell on both my knees. It was like uh, the Lord was making me prostrate before him this morning. Um, I'm glad uh, I didn't tear my pants. I like these pants. Um, so good to work together. And uh, for those of you online, great sort of to see you. You can see us. Uh, know that we uh, care about you. Before we get into the message, I want to give you my strong invitation to our encounter weekend this weekend. It's, it's going to be so good. Aaron White, um, you can go online and actually see him speak. He's just thoughtful. Um, he, he's lit. he was a pastor for the Salvation Army for 20 years. And so when he's talking about prayer, it's grounded in a, uh, an experience of the real world and people that really encounter brokenness. And he's going to, I think, uh, encourage us and, and cause us to think in some ways. And there's going to be some great opportunities to also just receive prayer if you'd like. Um, and uh, so that's, I think, the deadline for registering for in-person is this Wednesday. So if you could register today, that'd be great. And uh, three or four hours um, it's kind of like an investment, <laughs> and, I, and I, my thought as I was thinking about you this morning was a lot of you have a lot of output in your life. You have a lot of, lot of like, drain and maybe not enough fill, <laughs> and uh, this is an opportunity to receive an input from God, and so I just want to remind you about that and consider that. Um, also, just uh, on another note, I want to speak just for a few moments on behalf of the elders. You'll see uh, in the AGM notice that's been posted we have two elder nominations there this year. Thank you, Angel Gray and Sonia Kennedy, for your willingness to serve. And thank you, members, for your prayerful consideration of them. And our members have an opportunity to give voice of confirmation to that uh, on uh, February, March 6th. By the way, if you need a hard copy of our AGM reports, you can find those at the back uh, at our Welcome Center. Uh, but it's all online, so you can go home and read them there, too. But if you'd like to, a hard copy, like some of you might... You can do that. And I believe that after the service, uh, charitable tax receipts for 2021 will be available. So you can grab those. Huh, eldership. At Hillside, elders are tasked with giving spiritual leadership for our congregation. In, in our governance, I actually serve as one of the elders, probably one of the more visible elders. But it's been a challenging couple of years uh, for our eldership team as we've grappled with shepherding and leading this community through the pandemic. I'm grateful, so grateful we are for your support and your grace and your prayers for us. One of the tests, actually, to just being really honest and frank here, has been unity. <laughs> um, when we come from so many different backgrounds, we're a community church, and God has assembled this mix of people with different perspectives. And it's just a fact that our congregation doesn't entirely agree or share the perspectives on the pandemic or how to respond to the pandemic and the restrictions. Sometimes the, the politics that are going on out there in our world and in our nation, sometimes those politics come in here. And they leak in here, and they have the potential of causing all kinds of discord, division, hurt, and anger. And so we as elders want to again clarify our priorities of keeping the worship of God, the centrality of Jesus, and his ethic of love as the primary focus of this church. 
we've had this ongoing caution that it would be so easy for us to get sidetracked by the issues of our day, the issues of vaccination or mask wearing. Friends, these can be really significant distractions from what God has primarily called us to. Our church leadership have unanimously agreed to comply with BC health orders for a couple of reasons. We want to honor those who serve in our governments. As scripture says, they serve for your good. And, and actually, we trust that they're doing that. Some of these leaders have become my friends over the years through things like Tri-City prayer breakfasts and such. And they become friends. And I don't see them just as leaders anymore. I see them as people. And I feel that we're called to give them the benefit of the doubt. In fact, I think Scripture calls us to give our governmental leaders the benefit of the doubt. And, and secondly, we'll comply because in doing so, we honor one another. Jesus doesn't command us to agree, but he does command us to love. Jesus, on the night before the cross, he urged his disciples, love each other as I love you. And Paul, so beautifully in Philippians 2, urges us to imitate the humility of Jesus. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Man, if we obey that, that changes this community, doesn't it? And folks, we're trying to, to live out this mindset of Jesus at Hillside here the best we can. And we're going to get it wrong. We're going to have real proud moments. We're going to be stubborn and ignorant sometimes. But we never forget that Jesus is the target. He is what we're aiming for. And, and some of us, I, I know, struggle with mask wearing. I mean, who likes wearing a mask? No one does. Again, but I want to say, mask wearers sometimes have said to me, they inhibit my humanity, and I want to say the opposite. They may very well prove our love for one another. Practically, this means in our worship services, we will honor the 50% attendance capacity, and we will wear masks as they are mandated to do so. And if, for example, hillsiders attending who don't have a medical exemption for mask wearing, that would be of great concern to our spiritual leadership, our elders. They're asking you to do so. And if you feel you really can't wear a mask, and if you don't have a medical exemption not to, otherwise we'd invite you to attend our services online like many do. All this said, restrictions seem to be easing soon, and someday this pandemic, in theory, is going to be over. <laughs> but our need to guard unity and walk together with Jesus in love, in mutual submission, that's never going to go away. <laughs> that's our call 10 years from now, 100 years from now. And uh, let's keep walking in that path. Amen? Thank you for listening. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for your grace and your patience as we walk this difficult season out together. Big sigh, switching gears. I want to get to what we're going to get to today, and we're still in our series according to the Gospel of Matthew. It's, it's so good. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 to 34. And for those who are here, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word.
when he, when Jesus, arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off went into the town and reported all of this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave the region. So God, uh, your word is sacred to us, uh, and it has the words of life. Help us hear the good news uh, and live it more this morning, we pray, as a response. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please have a seat. Isn't that a great story of Jesus? Isn't that good? I, uh, it's great to me because I grew up in a church, and, and growing up in the church, sometimes we don't tell ghost stories, do we? Really. We don't believe in ghosts, but we believe in demons, and so we tell demon stories. And so I grew up sometimes in environments. I remember this one family in the church I grew up in. They'd invite us over, and this the mother of that family was a great storyteller, and she'd tell these stories, and I'd go home and wouldn't sleep that night because of the, the scary stories she told. And so this story is just really good news for me. I hope it'll be for you as well. And I, and I want to say right off the bat, this tale of possession and pigs and demons and deliverance, while it raises all kinds of questions, it shouldn't distract us from the main focus that Matthew wants to tell us or wants us to know in this story. It's the same lesson we learned last week in, in Simon's pointing us to the, the deliverance of the disciples on the Sea of Galilee from the storm. And the point is this. Jesus has all power and authority over all potential storms that threaten us. So good. I'm just waiting here, guys. You've got to join with me here. At, at Hillside, over the years, we've sung this song. Um, some of you know it, a Hillsong uh, Stronger, it's called. And I've always felt, like when we've sung it, that it was like a God moment happened at Hillside because it was like we were agreeing with heaven around this universal, just fact, this, this truth, that Jesus is truly stronger than any power that seeks to destroy humankind. And he's able to free us from any sort of bondage that might come our way. And get this, he can do it with a word. And so we need not be afraid. And I know in our modern day of, of science and, and medicine, we can be tempted to discount or explain away the, the manifestations of the demonic that we see in the Gospels or in the book of Acts. That instead of delivering people from demons, maybe Jesus was curing some sort of physiological or psychological mental illness and it's true, this, this did happen in a time period where people blamed legitimate physical illnesses like epilepsy on spirits and demons. But two facts about the New Testament stories that I think helped me accept them as accurate descriptions of something that was happening. The first is the New Testament doesn't attribute all evil or unexplained phenomena or illness or weird disorders on demons or spirits. It doesn't. And secondly, these stories aren't told in the way 
deliverance stories were told in the first century. Jesus didn't use any of the, the normal equipment, things like burnt fish livers and incense and, and roots. Uh, and Jesus doesn't use any magic words, no abracadabra, no incantations. He doesn't even pray or invoke any other kind of power. He simply speaks. Like in Mark 9, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. Then Mark 5, come out of this man, you, you evil spirit. And then in our passage today, where it gets even simpler, where Jesus simply says, go. So I'd suggest we try to, as I heard this week, doubt our doubts this morning and believe our beliefs and take this story at face value and ask what it means for us and walk it through. It starts in verse 28, when he arrived at the other side in the Sea of Galilee, or the region of the Gadarenes. This story is set on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and the, 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 Jesus and his disciples have crossed the sea, had that stormy adventure, and this is where they land. And this would have been foreign territory for them. This was not kind of part of their regular circuit. It was a region called the Gadarenes, and it was probably adjacent to a city called Susita, or also known as Hippos. Um, it was part of what was called the Decapolis, which means 10, and it was around 10 cities in that region that were founded, Greek cities, that were founded by Alexander the Great 300 years before. This was an entirely Jewish or Gentile region. Big, big clue? Big herd of pigs, right? That's, that's your clue there. This is not exactly Jewish or kosher land. And just even geographically, if you were to compare around the, 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 the land around the Sea of Galilee, this was the rugged side. It, crags and, and very wild uh, compared to the pastoral landscapes that the disciples would have used, be, been used to. And i got to say, sometimes, folks, God leads his followers into the wild country and into uncomfortable places. So they're in wild country, and it was about to get wilder. This is what it says. Two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass this way. This is Jesus' welcome committee to the other side of Galilee. This is, there's no aloha and, and a greeting with a lay. <laughs> we're talking two violent, demon-possessed men. And it's really a terrifying picture of, of what evil can do. The men, we're told, were so tormented that they had to be sent out to graveyards to to live among the tombstones. The people from the town did their, their best to protect themselves from these men's violent outbursts, that they would bind them in chains. Only these men with supernatural strength, as, as Mark says, would, would break the, the chains. Mark's version also, who just, by the way, just features one of the men, describes how the man could be seen running around the tombs, shrieking and cutting his flesh with, with sharp stones, attempting to destroy himself and, and bring to, to an end what must have been for him an unbearable existence. Their behavior was so terrifying that Matthew says no one could pass that way. And what we learn from this event and others like it is how the powers of darkness, how they want to disfigure and twist the image of God in people. I mean, Jesus summed up the devil's purposes in John 10 where he said, the devil comes to steal and kill and destroy. And this is what evil powers do. They want to utterly destroy. 
I, I saw this firsthand when I was a new Christian. Uh, my, uh, one of my close friends in high school, Cheryl, her older brother struggled for years with serious drug addiction. And, and eventually, the, some of his behaviors pointed to the strong influence of evil and, and the demonic in his life. And in our grad year, Cheryl's brother tragically took his life in simply a horrifying way. And, and this, this guy continues to be an image in my mind of both the existence of evil and how evil is, is bent on destruction. I think this is the point of why Jesus allows the demons to enter the pigs. By the way, don't get too bent out of shape about the pigs. <laughs> on just about anyone's scale, these two men are far more valuable than the pigs were. But Jesus, I think, allows the demons to enter the pigs to, to, as one commentator put it, to indicate beyond question that their real purpose was the total destruction of their host. In other words, if Jesus had not intervened, the demons would have done to the men what they finally did to the pigs. Now, an important question is, how can this happen to a person? I mean, how can a, a human being come to be possessed or controlled by demonic influences or powers. Well, Scripture actually is pretty quiet on the topic. But what Scripture seems to point to is that it can happen through playing around with certain kinds of magic or occult practices or dabbling with hallucinogenic drugs. It can put a person into contact with powers or, of darkness and deception. We're told that entering into certain religious celebrations that are focused on something other than the triune God can can bring a person into contact with contrary spirits. We know that habitual sin, be, sinful behaviors, can open the door and eventually become a foothold for the demonic. I, one example would be Ephesians 4, where Paul warns about anger, and he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the devil have a foothold. And, and anybody who's had just nurtured anger for a long time knows it kind of opens up the door to darkness. Or, or Jesus' warning of the bondage and torment in his, his parable about the, the man who refused to forgive even though he'd been forgiven much. And he ends that parable with warning of the bondage that comes with unforgiveness. Now, why is Scripture a little quiet on this? I really appreciate Daryl Johnson, New Testament scholar and pastor, his explanation. He suggests Scripture doesn't want to put the spotlight on the bondage. But Scripture wants to put the spotlight on the bondage breaker. <laughs> and, and weirdly enough, we actually see this in our text, and it's the demon themselves that, who put the spotlight on Jesus. They, they scream, what do you want with us, Son of God? And in every one of the, the Gospels involving Jesus and unclean spirits, the demonic, in every one, the spirits immediately recognize who Jesus is, and they know he's come to invade their territory and free them from their grasp. And so they say, what do you want with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? It's amazing. The spirits have good theology here. They know who Jesus is, and they know Jesus has come into the world to destroy the evil and the devil's works. Notice they say, though, before the appointed time. It's like they knew the end was coming, but they're surprised how the kingdom of God is breaking into the present 
ahead of time of the end of time through Jesus. They know the gospel, that Jesus is stronger than they are, and he's come to set captives free. And that's what he does in our story. It's so awesome to see the deliverance these men experience when the demons obey Jesus and flee into the pigs from, from being out of control and, and violent and hurting themselves and shrieking to, as Mark describes one of the men, as sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. How good is that? You know, uh, if you want a picture of what this might look like, you'll just have to watch Lord of the Rings. <laughs> two for two, Simon. Two weeks in a row. Um, it's actually required watching here at Hillside if you're going to understand any of our teaching, but whatever. <laughs> but you see this in, in King Theoden. Uh, King Theoden is the, the horse lord of Rohan, and the evil Saruman has, has spoken his lies to Theoden long enough that Theoden is now controlled by, by Saruman. And, he, and, and Saruman has, has, has taken all the humanity, all the beauty out of Theoden, weakened him and shriveled him into a shell of his former self. But there's this incredible deliverance scene. And I know it's Gandalf, but I, I, every time I see it, I can't help but think of Jesus. Gandalf speaking with authority over Theoden's life and freeing Theoden. And then in the film, you see this transformation take place where this shrunken, shriveled, disgusting man becomes human again, and, and, and he's restored and renewed, and he, he regains his humanity. It's, it's a beautiful sight. He, he now again uh, takes his sword and becomes the warrior king of Rohan. And friends, the, the basic truth of Scripture is this. Jesus Christ has authority over the demonic forces in a broken, uh, violent world. And as the people in Mark 1.27 said, Jesus commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Or as the disciples say after Jesus calmed the storm, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? There is no one, no one with power and authority like Jesus. So what does it mean for us? First of all, when we follow Jesus, when we invite Jesus into our lives, it's like Jesus becomes our big brother. Do anyone have a big brother? You guys have a big brother? So I, I have a, a, a story, a memory of my big brother, Stephen, who one time I said something that annoyed other kids in the neighborhood, and I was being chased by uh, these other kids. And my big brother, Stephen, just stepped in their way because he was 10 years older than me, so he was a man by this point. And he just stepped out, and those kids fled. <laughs> it, was, it was like one of my favorite childhood memories, you know, because otherwise my brother was usually beating me up, but here's he actually defending me. It was, I was really conflicted about that, but Jesus is our, becomes our big brother. And, and it's like he stands between us and our enemies, and he says, you want to get to them? you got to go through me. <laughs> you want to get to them? You got, you know, he wouldn't say it in a Clint Eastwood accent, would he? You know, you got to get to me. I, he might. I don't know. But here's the thing. As we follow Jesus, we now carry him as the most important part of our identity. And with that, we actually carry his authority both on our lives and through our lives. 
Therefore, we no longer have to fear the devil and demons and darkness. We can now say in Jesus, Jesus has bound you. You have no authority in my life. Be gone. We're now in the light, and darkness can never overcome the light. And so in those times when we feel hassled or tormented or attacked by evil, we, we can take our stand in Jesus and his name say, you leave me alone. Or you leave me and my family alone. Back off, we can say, and we can claim the authority of Jesus. Isn't that good? Second implication. Since we can count on Jesus delivering us from Satan and his schemes, we should regularly pray that way. You know, we kind of learn the Lord's Prayer uh, as kids. Maybe, maybe some of you, most of you have learned the Lord's Prayer probably along the way somehow. And we learn it, but we kind of forget what the words mean. Uh, we stop thinking about it. Like, for instance, what it really means to say, when Jesus invites us to say, deliver us from evil, or deliver us from the evil one. Dale Bruner says that, or suggests that, that Jesus uses an almost violent verb translated deliver. You know what it really means? It means to snatch. It's what a hand does when it's snatching an object from immediate danger. The idea here is that the devil is constantly luring us into snares and pits and setting traps for us. And, and, and folks, we can't solve them on our own. We can't get out of them on our own. We need to be saved. We need to be rescued. Only God's watching and snatching and saving can rescue us. That's deliverance. And so we pray the prayer the Lord Jesus taught us to pray. Deliver us from evil and lead us not into temptation. So we pray. Third implication is Jesus has given his church authority over the demonic. And so later when the disciples return from their short-term mission trip that Jesus had sent them on, they come back and they tell Jesus with great joy, Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. And so we read in the book of Acts stories of how the church was, was used to set captives free. In the city of Philippi, for example, the Apostle Paul and, and Luke are being hassled by a, a certain girl, slave girl, and Luke says that she had a, a spirit of divination and, and was bringing her masters a fortune by actually telling fortunes. And she kept following Paul and Luke and crying out, here, here we have this again, speaking truth. But here she is shouting out, these men are bond servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming the way of salvation. And so she can imagine Paul and Luke, they got this woman following her, and he, she's continually shouting out this line. And, and eventually Paul gets a little frustrated. He's like, I need my quiet space. He was probably an introvert. He says, enough. And he turns around and says to the spirit, you know, see, not to the woman, but to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus that you come out of her. And it did. One little word frees this woman, and his name is Jesus. Friends, the, the church never need be afraid of evil. Instead, the church needs to think in terms of moving out into Satan's strongholds and in Jesus' name, proclaiming the release of hostages and freedom for captives. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And what Jesus is really saying here is that he will build his church and the church will move into hell's strongholds and hell will not prevail against the church. So good. 
This is why for years we've been involved in, in some way or fashion in caring for our community, of, of moving into our community and trying to relieve poverty and care for real needs of people and address brokenness. This is why for years, probably every year since I've been a pastor here, we've been involved in regular prayer initiatives for our city. This, this last September, we prayed every day for our city. We prayed and we're praying that our community and the surrounding region will be freed from darkness. And, and we believe that when the gospel is announced and prayed for in a city, the city begins to change. Another one of my favorite songs that we used to sing a while ago um, is by the Newsboys called He Reigns. Some of you might remember the words. It's all God's children singing, glory, hallelujah, he reigns, he reigns. And then this line, and all the powers of darkness tremble at what they've just heard. I believe this happens every time that we worship and proclaim the name of Jesus. The powers of darkness tremble because they realize that Jesus' name is stronger. And Jesus' kingdom is beginning to, to break into our world through the church ahead of time. We're looking forward to Jesus' return, but in the meantime, we're beginning to see breakthroughs now. And so may all glory be to Jesus, whose name is truly stronger than any other name. He is our hope, and he is our strength, and he is our deliverer. Amen. Will you join me in praying? Caden uh, and Kevin, you want to come on up? So, Lord, thank you. Uh, Jesus, we lift up your name this morning. Uh, I uh, love how Charian led us in the Lord's Supper, just reminding us of, of what Jesus has done, <laughs> beaten death, overcome the sat Satan's plans for our world, and now he sits seated on high over every power and authority and rule. And Lord, we just acknowledge that uh, sometimes this kind of this kind of story scares us a little. It, it feels like it takes us into uncomfortable country or land. I pray, rather, that you would cause us to take a stand and to stand firm in you, and Jesus, that you might truly be stronger in our lives and that we might be agents of your freedom and discover your freedom for ourselves and for the world around us. Give us grace for this, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.